You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. The frozen chosen, right? Well, it's good to have you guys here this morning, of course, on a, on a really cold morning, and uh, we want to welcome those joining us online as well this morning, again, for a variety of reasons. We know that you uh, may be joining us uh, online versus being here in person, and we want to uh, welcome you here and just remind you to, uh, if you're from the church here, to use the Church Center app, and uh, if you're not, just let us know that you watched uh, by just sending a comment on Facebook or on the live stream. Well, we are continuing our study of Romans. Uh, last week, we ended on that crescendo uh, of uh, what it means uh, that, that we are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that we have received abundant grace, perfect righteousness, eternal life in Him. And as we ended chapter 5, uh, Paul is about to embark now on a new topic, which is our sanctification uh, we're going to be looking at this in chapters 6 to 8. We see that, that God uh, not only has justified us, that means to be declared righteous, but He is making us righteous through Christ. His, uh, his, he, he's, he's doing a new thing in, in our life. Last week, or sorry, the last chapter, chapter 5, I talked about a gospel certainty. Uh, chapter 6, I'm calling gospel reality. Gospel reality. And um, when you were a kid, did you guys play make-believe? I don't know if kids still do that. I don't know. know, With everything going on these days, maybe they don't have time to play make-believe. But but we used to do that a lot. You know, you'd you'd pretend that you were someone different, right? You know, depending on what your likes were, maybe you, you know, you pretended you were a fireman or a policeman and... uh, you know, you, you kind of set up these scenarios in your mind where you're in a different time, in a different place. You know, maybe it was, you know, you played, you know, mommy and daddy. I know our girls uh, used to do that. You know, they were pretending they were mommy and daddy, and uh, you got real insight into your parenting based on that. So that was an interesting time. And, and, uh, and, but we played make-believe until it was time for dinner, right? And then you were flipped back into reality again, and... Um, I think sometimes as adults, we still play make-believe, right? We live like we're in control. That's make-believe, right? You are not in control. God is in control. We, we live as if what we do is, can, can change things. I think this last year, we, we kind of got a little bit of a wake-up call, right? Uh, we, we, can, we can try. We can do the best we can. But ultimately, God is over it all. As we looked at Romans 1, we learned that many people act like there is no God and live accordingly. They worship and serve creation versus the Creator. And then there are many people who act like salvation is only a get-out-of-hell ticket, right? Say the prayer and then live however I want to live. And this is what Paul is going to be addressing today as we look at Romans 6, 1 through 10. You see, the gospel not only declares us righteous, not only uh, does reconcile us to God, God is doing so much more than that. And as we look at chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, we're going to see that we're 
we have been united with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And then as we get to chapters 15 to 23, gonna, we're going to see that we were slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. And in all of it is showing us we have a new identity, we have a new reality as a result of our being in Christ. And so it's going to be a little bit of a reality check as we go through this next three weeks. Do we live out the reality or are we still living in a make-believe world? So that's what we're going to be looking at. Let me pray for us and then we're going to get into it. God, we do thank you that we have this time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for salvation that is so rich. God, we had our hearts rejoicing last week as we considered your grace towards us. God, grace that says that we could never outsin your grace. When you saved us, you saved us completely. Lord, we are saved completely because of the work of Jesus Christ. We have his perfect righteousness and he took our sin. And Lord, you have freed us from death and sin through Jesus Christ. Lord, may those realities be evident in the way that we live our lives. God, we thank you that you have revealed to us all that we need to know. God, we pray that as we study this morning, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand the depth of our salvation, the scope of our salvation, that God, we would Leave here different than what we came in, Lord, as we have this reality check, as we are reminded of the power of the gospel. God, we pray that you would use this preacher, Lord, for your glory and for your honor, and that all your people, God, will become more like you as a result of our time here this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 1, or sorry, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. You have a Bible, open it up, look down with me at it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So today we're going to be studying Romans 6, 1 through 10 is setting up the theology, is setting up, these are the things you need to know, these are the things you need to understand 
Then the next week as we get back into Romans again, we're going to be looking at Romans 6, 11 through 14. So now live like this. But in order for us to know how to live, we have to understand what took place as a result of Christ's death and resurrection. And again, as I said, this is a reality check. These are the things that are true of you if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ today. We're going to see as we look at these texts, when it comes to sin, victory over sin is inevitable. Victory over sin is inevitable. Why? Because of the reality of your participation in Christ. We're going to see this in verses 1 to 5. It's inevitable because of your participation in Christ. As we break down these verses, verses 1 to 5, first we see a needed knowledge. There was a needed knowledge He says this at the beginning, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This question that he's asking is flowing out of what he's just said in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Just look back there. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as Sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increased, guess what? Grace abounded all the more. Well, and that sounds pretty good. Let me get this straight. I sin more, grace abounds more, all glory to God. Isn't that that what I should think? A lot of people have thought that back in the day. In fact, if we're being honest, we can think that way as well. We're going to get into that in just a moment. If I sin more, grace covers more, then I guess it's okay for me to continue to sin. This this kind of thinking, it's called antinomianism. Nomos nomos is the the word for law, anti-law, anti-moral law. I guess... I don't doesn't matter how I live. Should we continue to sin? This word for continue, it's to remain in that state. It's to, to not change. It's to be where you are. Should we continue in the sin? In other words, should I continue to live as if there has been no change in my life? Should I just keep going on as I have been? Should I keep sinning as I did before I came to faith in Christ, before I was declared righteous? Now, this has only been a problem since Christ rose again, this kind of thinking. And the letter to Jude in verse 4, it said this, For certain people have crept in on notice who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They pervert the gospel. They twist the gospel. Is our faith all about grace? The answer is what? Yes, it is all about grace. It has nothing to do with our works. It is, the, it is what sets us apart from all other religions. And so, if your preaching of the gospel doesn't maybe lead people to think that maybe antinomianism should, could be a thing, then you're probably not really teaching the gospel. 
There, there's, there should be this question like, okay, well, if it's his grace, grace, and more grace, then I guess we can just do what we want. That would be true if you, if you didn't have this knowledge that he's about to reveal here. Now, as I said before, it's easy to see the sin in other people, right? Well, what a crazy thing to say. To sin more would give God more, uh, to sin more would bring more glory to God. But stop and think about your own life. Maybe even this last week. Was there a moment where you thought, it's okay to sin because God's going to cover it? Jesus has got it. I know he forgives all sins, and I, I know it's probably not the best thing to do, the thing that I'm deciding to do right now, but, it, you know, he's going to cover it. It's okay. I can just go into it. When we begin to live like that, there's a hardening of our hearts. We need to be on guard against this kind of thinking. So, I need to be on guard against this kind of thinking. Yes, the grace of God forgives all sin, but as we'll see, it does not give me a license to sin. When I speak like this, I'm speaking as an ignorant person. I'm speaking as someone who doesn't have the knowledge I need to have. Four different times in these, these 14 verses, he's saying, don't you know? You need to know this. You, you need to understand these things. If you think that that's a thing, you obviously don't really understand your salvation. And now he's going to tell us what we need to know. First with a strong statement and then with a shocking question. Verse 2. First a strong statement. By no means. Like, should we do this? Are you kidding me? Maybe that's how we would say it today. Really? What made you think that that would be a good idea? Right? He's, he's saying this in as strong of a statement as he could be. You know, let me think about this. No! Right? Like, you, there is no thinking about this. That, that's a crazy kind of thinking. What are, you, what are you thinking when you say that? Interesting, as you look at the different translations, some say, may it never be. King James, God forbid. Certainly not. Paul is not tripped up by this question. Why? Because he is given the gospel over and over and over again, and, and he's had people bring this up. And he's not changing that we're saved by grace. He's like, okay, wait a minute. It's not really saved by grace. Let me change the rules. No, it's you are saved by grace, but don't you understand what happened when you were saved by grace? And now he says this shocking statement, you died. You died. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Past tense. Not future tense, you died. How could you continue to, to live in something that you've died to? By the way, this is a great funeral to celebrate on a daily basis. Right? You have died. When you think about your conversion, oftentimes it's like, I was born again. Yeah, I, I came to faith in Christ. He removed my sin. But guess what? On that day, you also died. Your old self died, as we're going to see in this text. It was a great thing. It was a great thing. You died to sin. So if you've died to sin, how could you continue to still live in it? How could you remain in the thing which Christ has died for? To, to remain in the thing which you have 
died too. Boaz says it like this, you died to sin, therefore how could you think and ask whether it would glorify God for you to go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, if you're like me, as you're first looking at these verses this week, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean that I died to sin? What, what exactly does that look like? He says, well, let me show you. Verses 3 and 4. First, there was a necessary death. Do you not know? Again, don't you know these things? Do you not know all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Do you not know? All of us were baptized into Christ Jesus. When he speaks of all of us, obviously he's talking about all believers, everyone who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting. Some people do not think this is talking about water baptism here. All right? In fact, maybe someone of a school I went to at one point, okay? Now, doesn't think that this is talking about water baptism. I happen to do think that this is talking about water baptism. Not, as we're going to understand, not, not baptism in that it's saving me, but, but baptism in that everyone who, has, who, who was saved at that point, guess what? They had been baptized. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ had been baptized. There was no such thing as I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've never been baptized. That did not exist. Like you read through the book of Acts. They believed and were baptized, right? Not they believed and then a decade later they got baptized. That that just didn't exist. In fact, they were searching around for water, right? They believed and were baptized. And so when we think about this, the fact that he says, did you not all of us who were baptized? He's saying, did you not know that all of us who had placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you not know that, that those two things go together? Right? They're, they're, they're hand in hand. You think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He believed, then what? Was baptized. The, the, the jailer believed and was baptized. Now, on the day of Pentecost, all the people who believed, what? They were baptized. So, commercial, not really commercial, reminder, if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. Baptism does not save us, but it is a commandment that God has given to us. It's a beautiful thing, baptism, as we're going to see as we look at these verses. It reminds us of our union with Christ. It is an outward symbol. It is a declaration of what God has done in our life. And so can I just encourage you this morning? Don't put it off anymore. If you've never been baptized and you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then get baptized. Do not let the fear of man stop you. If you still have questions about it, then please ask myself, one of the elders. We'd love to talk to you about it. But believe and then be baptized. That's what God calls us to do. So, what does baptism represent? What is going on here? Well, the word baptizo is the word immerse. 
is, sorry, is, is a word that could also be translated immerse. Now, let me just give you a little, why do I think this is talking about baptism? Everywhere, baptism by water, everywhere in the New Testament where uh, they talk about baptism and they use this word baptizo, it talk, it's talking about water baptism, except when it says baptism with fire or baptism with the Spirit, as John the Baptist, as John the Baptist talked about. That's the only time that it's not used in reference to water. So that's why I believe that he's talking about water here. To be baptized into Christ. So what does this outward symbol represent? To be baptized into Christ is to be immersed with him. To be unified to him. We talk about being immersed in your work. What does that mean? It's to be completely involved in it. It's spending long hours in the office, thinking about work all the time. You have been immersed into Christ. You are now united to Him. You should be thinking about Him all the time. He should be dictating how you live your life. We were once united to Adam. Sin was on our minds continually. But now we're united to Christ. Stoss says this, So union with Christ Christ by faith, which is invisibly affected by the Holy Spirit, is visibly signified and sealed by baptism. The essential point Paul is making is that being a Christian involves a personal, vital identification with Jesus Christ. And that this union with him is dramatically set forth in our baptism. When we get baptized in water, we are saying, I now identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. I am now unified with him. It is as to say what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have died. It's symbolized as we go down into the water, right? Christ's death was my death. And so we go down into the water. It's representing that not only did we die, but we were buried. And then we come out of the water to what? To new life. There's this beautiful picture that we're given through baptism and we say we are now united to Him. And we want the whole world to know. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were immersed into His death. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Your old self has died with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have placed your faith in Him, then the old self has now died. His death was necessary for our salvation. Your death is necessary for for your salvation. The old self must die 
It cannot continue to live on if you are to have salvation because when Christ died, you died. And so on that day when you came to faith in Christ, you also died. It would be kind of fun to, if you, if you knew that date, to put that on your, your tombstone. First death, second death, that would be kind of fun. I think that would be great. right? Because that's our reality. That is our reality. A new life has begun, as we're going to see in these verses. Without Christ dying, we would have forever been lost in our sin. We would have been forever united only to Adam. Unable to break free from those chains, but because Christ has died, that old self now has died. It is only through our union to him that salvation is, boss, is possible. So that is what this baptism in water symbolizes. That does not save us. It is our being in Christ which saves us, which is symbolized through baptism. And then he says this, we've not only, have been, we not only have died, but we've been given a new life. Verses 4 and 5, we've been given a new life. He says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We died and were buried, just as Christ was. But just as Christ was resurrected, so too you and I have been resurrected to new life. A new life has begun as a result of what Christ has done. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That old self has now died, but there, a new life has now begun. There's a, a new kingdom that you now live in as a result of what Christ has done. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now has raised you to new life. We no longer are the same person we once were. Like thinking back to that analogy of like pretending to be someone else, right? When you're playing make-believe as kids. Well, that's your reality. You're not the same person you once were. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, that old man now has died, a new man has now come. That's really good news. So how could you continue to sin that might, grace might, be, might, might abound? If you have truly placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that old man is dead, his desires, his affections are now gone, you are now in Christ having new life. It's important that you and I recognize this reality. It's easy for us to, to, to be fooled, to, to think that we are still chained to that old life. But through Christ, we're now somebody else. This is not a game of make-believe, as I've already said, is a reality, as was symbolized in your baptism. You have been raised to new life. In the old kingdom... You were enslaved to sin. You were under the curse of death and you walked opposed to God. But now through Christ, you have entered into the new kingdom. 
as a new creation. Ezekiel 36 says that you've been given a new heart and a new mind. Sometimes people are like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to come to faith in Christ because I, like, I wouldn't be able to do everything that I want to do. That's not true. Because here's the deal. If you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have new affections, new desires, a new heart, and a new mind which have different desires. And so you will be able to do the things you decide to do as we're going to continue in this text because Christ has given you His Spirit, a new heart, and a new mind that you might walk in His commandments. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, your desires change. And your hopes and dreams change. When you come to faith in Him, we've been given newness of life. For if we've been not united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Again, note the tenses, the past tense. You have been united with a, de- in a, de- with a death like His. It's in the perfect tense. That that being united in that moment when you, when you placed your faith in Him, it's having an ongoing impact on your life. You are continually dying, day in and day out. Dying to that old self. And then living now for Christ. And we note here, it says that we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. As we've been going through this, you were saved, you are being saved. That's the emphasis in chapters 6, 7, and 8. But you also will be saved. Just as Christ rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father and has been resurrected there, someday you too will be resurrected to new life. 2 Corinthians 4.14 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing this, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence no longer in the presence of sin but in his presence that will be the completion of it all this is our hope today this is why we we are not hopeless in the midst of difficult days because we know that this is not it and one day soon we will share in his resurrection and we will be in his presence Your union in Christ not only assures you that the old reign of sin and death have been crucified with Christ, but now you're assured that one day you'll be raised up with Jesus into his presence through our participation in Christ. You are united in him. Paul further explains that we have victory over sin. Victory over sin is inevitable. Why? Because we have also been we also have the reality of, the, of your power in Christ. The reality of your power in Christ. Not only did we have participation with him in what he has done, now we have his power. He explains this in verses 6 through 10. First, we see that we are freed from sin's demands. We've been freed from sin's demands. What does it mean? So, okay, so theologically, we understand, okay, I've been united with his death. When he died, I died. And when he rose to new life, I was raised to new life. But now what is the implications of that? He takes, his, takes verses 6 and 7 and explains what he was saying in verses 3 and 4. And he takes verses 8, and, 8 through 10 and explains what he was saying in verses 4 and 5. So first we see that we've been freed from sin's demands. Verse 6, we know that our 
old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It's so important that we understand what he's saying here. This is your reality. Reality check time. You were once enslaved in your sin. You didn't have a choice. Because of your union with Christ, or sorry, union with Adam, you were born onto this earth with a sin nature, you were born with a rebellious spirit, and you continued to walk in your sin against God, shaking your fist at Him, walking in your pride, thinking that you knew so much better than Him. You thought you were free to do whatever you wanted, but the reality was that you were enslaved in your sin. None of us were good, as we were seeing in Romans 1 through 3. We, none of us were good, not even one. No one was seeking after God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 gives us a good picture of who we were. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was the old self. That's who you were before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says here that old self was crucified with Christ. That old man has now died, that one that was enslaved in his sin, the, the, the one who couldn't help but rebel against God. That guy is now dead. In order that what? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now this is a very key statement. Now that the body of sin, this flesh, might be brought to nothing. Now, it can be like, okay, like, I really like everything I'm hearing so far, but I got this daily reality problem that I'm facing. I still sin. If the old man was crucified, if he's dead, why does he seem so alive still? Anyone relate to that? Well, partly because you're not living in reality, but partly because we're not free yet from the presence of sin. But we are, listen, we are freed from the power of sin. Listen, we still have the same flesh. We still will die physically. That still is your reality. We still live in a world that is walking in rebellion against God, who is pressuring you on a daily basis to walk in sin. We still live in a world that's controlled by Satan, who is opposed to God. We still live in that world. You're still in the presence of that world. Someday not, but now you are. But listen to what it says. That body of sin might be brought to nothing. The, the, to, to be brought to nothing means this. 
there is no longer any power over you. Sin no longer has its say in your life. It is no longer your master. It is no longer your Lord. When you died on the cross with Christ, that was broken. The power over sin was broken. Wasn't the case before. Before that old self died, that old self, he had to sin, but not anymore. You've been freed. Boaz puts it like this. A freed slave can directly, stand directly in the presence of his, his or her former master. Look the master in the eye and ignore every command. Is there a temptation based on history and precedent to ask with trembling voice how high when the former master says jump? Of course there is. Old habits die hard, but there is neither the obligation to jump nor to ask how high. There is complete freedom to turn and walk away. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Every temptation that comes your way, now in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the power to say no. You couldn't say that before, but now you can. Because that old man died with Christ, and a new life has begun. You've been given a new heart, a new mind. You've been given the Holy Spirit, new affections. And so when that temptation comes, you now have the power in Christ to say no, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is now living in you, and you can say no to that temptation. Don't live in a make-believe land where you believe that you have to sin. No, you do not have to sin anymore. This is the amazing good news of the gospel. You've been freed from that sin that old master. Lloyd-Jones says this, do not go on living as if you were still that old man because the old man has died. Do not go on living as if he was still there. Start living in your new reality. Don't let those old desires and affections be stirred up again. Instead, live for Christ. As we live out this reality in our lives, we'll see an increase in victory over sin in our lives. Unfortunately, we are still not free from sin's presence, but we are free from its power. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember your union to Him when temptation yells out that you must submit to it and say, no, you don't have to anymore in Christ. You are free from your sin. God has given us new desires, a new heart, a new mind, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, and in order that we be no longer enslaved to our sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, we're going to get more into this next week as we get into, okay, so what does this look like on a daily basis? 
But hear the truth here this morning. No matter what struggle you're facing, because of what Christ has done, you have the power to say no to that. The the, the chains have been broken. The power has been broken. Live in the victory that Christ has won. May we see less and less of the old self and more and more of Christ in us. May we live the life that He has purchased for us. This is what it says in verses 8 to 10. Now we are freed to truly live. We are free to truly live. The the power of sin has been broken and now we can live as God has created us to live. We can get back to what Adam was supposed to do in the first place. He says in verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, listen, we believe that we will also live with Him. I think the implication here again is both now and forevermore. We also will live with Him. If we have died with Him, those old affections, those old desires, that old enslavement, if that's all now died, we believe that we also now live in Him. Sanctification is now possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And glorification is certain in Christ. We also will live with Him. I had a great opportunity this week to talk with the youth and um, reminded of why I used to like being a youth pastor. <laughs> youth just ask questions, right? They don't stop and ask about whether it's the right question or not, right? Adults are kind of like, well, I don't, I'm not supposed to think like this, so I guess I'll just keep it to myself. Youth just ask the question, right? They just ask the question, and, and we were talking about the, the fact that we can now live with Him. We don't have to continue to be enslaved in the sin that we once were because of what Christ has done. As we reminded us in verse 5, one day we will be resurrected with Christ and we will live with Christ for all of eternity, reigning with Him. As we looked at last week, one day we're going to reign with Him. The assurance of that begins now in living a new life in Him. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. As We learned in chapter 5, the reign of sin and death has been defeated in Christ Jesus. When He rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, He never died again. Poor Lazarus, right? He got, he got, he got life again, but guess what? He had to die again. I don't know if that was a good, good thing for him or not. Like, second time around, like, right? But for Christ, when he rose, he never died again. Revelation 1, 17 and 18 says this, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. This is Christ speaking of himself. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer has dominion over you who are united in Jesus Christ. 
Spiritual death is no longer yours. You've been given life in Christ. And physical death is now only entrance into eternal life in Christ. We've been freed from the power of sin. And someday we'll be free from the presence of sin and live with Him forevermore. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. Stott says this, Christ bore sin's condemnation, namely death. He met its claim. He paid its penalty. He accepted its reward. And He did this once for all. Once for all. Christ did not have to die over and over again. He had to die only once for all. It is complete in Him. In consequence, sin has no more claim or demand on Him. So God raised Him from the dead in order to demonstrate the the satisfactoriness, whatever that word is, of His sin-bearing. And He now lives forever unto God, just as you and I can live forever unto God through Jesus Christ. Shall we sin that grace may abound? How can we? How can we? We died. That old man died. Those old affections died. How could we continue to live a life if we've now died to that life? If we've now been raised with Christ to new life, we now get to live in Him and to walk in His ways as a result of Him giving a new heart, a new mind, His Spirit. I pray that you and I, as we grow in faith, as we become more and more like Christ, we could be like Paul who would be like, I don't even know where my life begins and Christ begins. It's just, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There, there is no more me. Me is gone. I, Christ now lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's now all about Him and what He has for me in this life. Isn't that great news? Stop, put it like this. Imagine an elderly believer called John Jones who is looking back over his long life. It is divided by his conversion into two halves. The old self, John Jones, before his conversion, and the new self, John Jones, after his conversion. Still John Jones. These are not his two natures, but the two consecutive lives. By faith and baptism, John Jones was united to Christ. His old self died with Christ to sin. It's penalty born and finished. At the same time, John Jones rose again with Christ, a new man, to live a new life unto God. John Jones is every believer. We are John Jones if we are one with Christ. We died with Christ and we are risen with Christ. Our old life terminated with the judicial death it deserved. Our new life began with the resurrection. I pray that every one of you here has died. That that is the reality that you live in today. That you can think back to the day that was the day I died. 
and now I have a new life. A life that will go on for all of eternity. The power of sin has been broken, and one day we're going to be resurrected with Him where there'll be no more sin, no more death, and we will reign with Him forevermore. This is what your salvation brought. How can we sin that grace might abound? Sounds like a pretty crazy thought when you understand what your reality is in Him. No more make-believe. No more sin telling you, no, no, I'm the master. No, He's not. Jesus Christ is your new master. You have been given new life in Him. May we live it fully for Him, for His glory and His honor. Amen? Let me pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that we have new life in You. Lord, help us to grasp these wonderful mysteries. Lord, help us to live in reality. Lord, when temptation comes, when, when sin yells that we must obey, God, may we remember that we no longer need to obey. Lord, you have set us free from the power of sin. You have set us free to live a life set apart unto God, just as Christ lived a life set apart unto God. Lord, we now can live that same life. Lord, we pray that, Lord, as we are extended years on this earth, that we would see less and less of us and more and more of Jesus. Lord, would you be honored or would you be glorified in our lives? That as people look at us, they can see that we are not the same person that we once were. The old self has died. The new self has come, thanks to Jesus Christ. Lord, may you receive honor and glory through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.